0: G'day and welcome to episode 121 of the Pack of View Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson and today's conversation is with the one and only Dominica Bay, who many of you will know as the founder and owner of Plant Life Brand Accelerators, which is a company based in Vancouver, BC, that offers a full range of services to help food-based CPG business owners and operators just like you bring their business ideas to life now during our conversation dominica and i cover a lot of ground but the primary focus today was what it takes to successfully launch a cpg brand in the food industry Uh, we also talked about recipe development co-packing distribution and brand management and dominica definitely emphasized the importance of innovation and staying on top of the latest trends to create some standout products We also discussed the growing demand for plant-based products and what the future looks like in this space. And after listening to the conversation, I'm sure that you'll all agree that Dominica is a wealth of knowledge. I was really lucky to have her on the show and she's definitely a voice that we can all trust and rely on. Now, before we dive into today's conversation with Dominica, I'd like to just take a moment to introduce myself to those of you who are new to the show. My name is Hayden Thompson, and in addition to hosting this podcast and chatting with business owners and operators like Dominica, I also work in sales for Foodpack, which is a packaging company based in Vancouver, BC. Now, I guess in short summary, at Foodpack, we specialize in three key areas, Uh, the first one of which is stock bags, Uh, the second is custom printed bags and films, and we also have packaging equipment such as Cipramac vacuum chamber machines plex pack band sealers and repack tray sealers and thermoformers we also have a showroom packed full of this equipment so you can come on in you control the equipment and make sure that what you're about to invest in is exactly what you need for your operation now I've been really fortunate to have had many of you listening and many of my guests trust in our services of food pack both in their packaging and packaging equipment and if any of you listening have any questions about a packaging solution for your new product or would you would like me to assess your or evaluate i guess your current packaging or equipment program i definitely recommend you visit the food pack website found in the show notes below and then you can reach out to me directly by emailing me at hayden at the pack of your and i'll definitely be able to steer you in the right direction okay i'm out of breath that's it uh for today let's get stuck into it i hope you all enjoy episode 121 with dominica bay should we do it got your coffee got your tea got your bubbly water
1: red a, a rock
0: <laughs> i was very close to pouring myself a beer but i decided not to
1: <laughs> i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't uh shame you i would think it's yeah, good <laughs> good all right <laughs> okay
0: dominica welcome to the show
1: thanks so much for having me
0: it's a pleasure having you on um What would it have been? About a month and a half ago, you and I touched base and had a really good conversation over the phone or Zoom, I think it was, and got to know each other. And uh, yeah, I was like, we need to talk on the podcast. So thank you very much for the opportunity. I'm thrilled.
1: No, thank you for the opportunity. I'm definitely a huge fan and a weekly listener. And I think it's so important that Um, local founders uh, have a voice in the market um, here in BC and for the rest of Canada, because we are so different um, than the CBG market in the US, which is where a lot of these types of podcasts are generated from. So it's just so nice that we have someone like you representing us. And um, I always say to my founders when I first start working with them, First thing is your homework. You gotta, you gotta, um, you gotta start following um, Hayden at Fat Heavy Podcast because you know it's the best lessons you can learn. It's an incredible podcast and, and definitely worth your while. So awesome. that's their first homework.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for that. I, I really do appreciate it because um, you put out a weekly episode, and very rarely do you hear anything back. So that feedback's awesome. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. But you know what? It has turned into a really cool resource. Like it's bringing a lot of value to my life. I guess. Number one, like I love sitting down and having a conversation with people like yourself or owners and operators of CPG businesses. And, you know, there's a lot that can be learned in those stories. And I think the key takeaway for me, and, the, and if I do get feedback from a founder, is that, you know, it can be a lonely path being a business owner. And, um, you know, every day you're fighting fires, it's an uphill battle at every step of the way. It's not easy. And it's probably one of the most, you know, challenging and yet, fun industries you could possibly be a part of. And um so I think the value in the podcast that people see is that, you know, they learn that, you know, they're not alone and uh that, you know, the challenges that they face are common and that there are ways around it. So yeah, it's really nice to hear everybody's story. There are a lot of common themes, you know, that crop up on this podcast. But at the end of the day, everybody's got their own unique story too. So yeah, it's a lot of fun and I appreciate the feedback. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with what you're saying. I mean, when I started my own kombucha company, even though I'd been in business, um, you know, for 25 years, so I had the the bones of running and operating a business, mm. a team, and training a team, and marketing and sales, and um, I had that under my belt. But um, CBG is a whole new animal, and I think the thing that shocks me the most, um, if I'm if I'm being completely transparent, is the amount of founders that I help that are either coming from um, you know, a background where they may be working in office or something like that, which is mm. great, but have no experience whatsoever when it comes to food, like nothing like not even working in hospitality, mm. or at grocery stores or anything. And then or being being, you know, run being a, uh, an entrepreneur. And so I think the biggest disconnect and I was thinking about this is, you know, um, when when you're entering CBG for the first time as your first time being an entrepreneur being one of the hardest uh, markets to crack by far, yeah. Um, it, it can be extremely overwhelming. And of course, there's a lot of hard decisions you have to make early on that can really set the tone for your brand and can mm. be a hit or miss in the market. And there's such critical decisions. Um, but I think it's important that if any new founders are listening, they realize, listen, every entrepreneur that starts a business goes through all these hard decisions, these pain points, these hard times. It doesn't matter if you have a hair salon, a restaurant, a bar, um, you know, a design studio or, you know, your CBG founder. Now, Take going into CBG for the first time as an entrepreneur is certainly aggressive to say the least. Um, so I was, I was very grateful that a lot of the stuff was instinctual, um, in terms of, of, you know, being a founder, being a CEO, cause I've done it. I'd done it multiple times and I was doing it at the same time. I was running two businesses at once. Mm. So it's just for those, those that don't have any experience in business. Um, my best advice is to, bring in experienced people in the game that have it, that have successfully launched brands um, and have been hopefully a founder themselves. So they understand they can relate and have that level of empathy and compassion and can most importantly, help you make very, very expensive mistakes. I think that's if people ask, what is it that you do? And it's like, I help save founders from either emerging brands or um, existing brands or even very successful brands when they're doing a relaunch or a line extension trying to help them navigate it and Mm. save them a lot of time and money.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's such a shortcut. Like that shortcut alone is worth, you know, it's invaluable. And, um, yeah, it blows my mind, like how many people step into the arena without yeah. any experience in the hospitality industry. Like both you and I come from the restaurant or the cafe world. We've yeah. spent time on the floor in the dish pit, like you name it. And there's yeah. something about that hustle and that insight that you get to, you know, a level of customer service and communication that's required to run and operate a business. And then, you know, CPG is nuanced and it's different as well, but you know, you are working with food or beverages, yes. um, you're building and developing a brand and then you're obviously, you know, as a founder, you're wearing all of the hats at once. So it's, you know, really hard to sort of um, define how you're going to set up your day and what you're going to focus on to move the needle every day and, you know, have the biggest impact. So, I guess the best place to start. So you are obviously the owner and operator of Plant Life, which was established in January 2020. So just before the world was about to turn or as it was turning, which would have yep. been challenging in its own right. Um, but prior to that, as you suggested, um, you had owned and operated your own businesses, one of which was a kombucha business. So yep like, walk me through the early days of your um, journey when it comes to owning and operating a business. Yeah. Um, some of the the key things that you learned, and then I'd love to dig into plant life. And, um, you know, essentially, some of the best practices for launching a CPG brand that we can pass on to everybody listening today, because I guess before we kick off into it as well, if we think about everybody that's listening right now, or the the, key, the majority of the people that are tuning into this podcast, they're owners and operators of CPG businesses, just like we've established. But they're the majority of them are early founders. You know, some of them might be just walking in the door of, you know, signing the papers to get their um, business operational. Um, they may have an idea, and they're like, "I'm gonna do this," and they're about to flick the switch. Or they may have been operating it for 12 to 18 months like there's sort of a very very early early founder stage um so if we're looking at it through that lens today when we're having a conversation i think that would be pretty essential as well so yeah yeah. where do you want to start tell us your story first
1: okay sounds great okay well i think i got to go back to the beginning but um i promise i'll make it as quick as i can um and it's important to understand who I am, a lot of people sort of get a little bit bewildered when they first meet me and they go, what's your background? Because, you know, um, they, they for Canadians especially, um, they may find my personality a bit strong, but in a nutshell, um, I get shit done. So um, I was taught at a young age. I was one of six kids. I had five brothers. My mom had uh, six kids in eight years. And that's important because I was the only girl. So it was my role to essentially help my parents raise their five sons. So that's how I was raised. And don't get me wrong. I was lucky. I had a roof over my head. I got to play a lot of sports um and i although i was born in vancouver um for high school my parents are australian so i was really lucky that i got to go back to sydney and i've dual citizenship so um we spent a lot of christmases and um, vacations down there to see our family down in, in, in australia which is our second home and our our, I would say my first love. Um, and um, and I definitely uh, was very close with family and cousins. I mean, I've I have over 80 first cousins. Um, so it's a big family. Um, mm-hmm. but our family was in food and pubs, particularly. So my grandfather started off um being a bit of a bootlegger after Second World War. Um, three out of four, of my grandparents parents were Anzacs and 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 um and fought in the war. And they came back and um anyway, so they built up they built up pubs and restaurants and um and real estate. Um and then when um my family um when my mom and and her sisters and my grandfather decided to move everyone to Canada um they all set up bars and restaurants here in the lower mainland so it's been in my blood um growing up I mean it was you know nothing was ever handed to me which is great I'm so grateful for this mm-hmm. day According to your background you know if I wanted to get a birthday present for my girlfriend's birthday party when I was five then okay well you can do some chores and earn it right it was it was always that mentality and I'm grateful because today you know, since I was seven, I earned my first paycheck and I'm forty-two. So for thirty-five years I've been earning a living and I like the freedom of that because I never have to ask anyone. I make my own decisions and I feel confident and strong. And and nothing holds me back. I said, Well, if you if you wanna go and do that trip or if you want a new pair of runners or if you want to expand your business you better go and earn it first so i've yeah. always had mentality of not taking on debt but earning the money first and then spending and i think that's a really valuable lesson um and then i ended up working with safeway when i was 14 at the arbutus village shopping center um and um this is before i moved over to australia and so i got some cashier experience and then when i came back and worked with thrifty food so i do have a bit of a background in terms of you know food and growing up in that that element um and then um i was um determined to see all seven continents and over 150 countries but of course i had student loans so i decided the best way to do that is to go join a cruise ship so i got recruited by disney and i was cinderella and tinkerbell and i worked on the ships and then i made my way up the ranks um i ended up doing a position called cruiser size because i played a lot of sports growing up so i taught sp- fitness and spin and yoga and then they said well this girl is too good at getting people to get up at 6 a.m. to come to our fitness class <laughs> because the bar is empty the night before. And we're going to make a lot more out of this girl if we you know, move her into entertainment and get her to drive bar sales and casino and shopping and on an board revenue. So they ended up making me ACD, and I was one of the first female cruise directors. The reason I'm explaining this is because, to me, a cruise ship is a brand. All right. Mm-hmm. So i got mm-hmm. taught at a young age of 21 how to you know generate millions of dollars a week which was my target and if i didn't hit it i was off it was ruthless but it was like, I called a knockout round, but guess what? It toughened me up. I learned more than I could have been in a classroom. And in 2008, when we, I'm sure we all remember that big recession, mm. I was one of the only ships that hit target. And so um, Mickey Harrison and the Carnival Corp team that had since bought over Princess, which was the ship I was sailing on at the time, said, what is with this kid? Like, like we've got experienced seasoned cruise directors that have been in the game many years, they're just tanking. We're not making any money right now. Nobody's shopping. Nobody's spending money. They're canceling their cruises. And yet this little ship that could out of Tampa is, is crushing your targets. What's happening? So they came on board and I said to them, listen, I you can come. Well, they could have come. Of course, it's their rights, their ship. But I said, do not say anything for five days, all right? Because I'm telling you that I've rewritten your entire playbook, all right? Do not say anything for five days. At the end of the day, you're gonna get great five-star comment cards, all the crew are going to be happy because we're on commission and people are making money. So they don't feel like they're a slave. And, uh, the guests, most importantly, the guests are happy and we're getting some repeat crew vouchers, um, being purchased and we're hitting target. So just be quiet. Let me do my thing. So I went and redid did my thing. And, um, and you know, at, after a day or so I was told I was fired and I said, fine, just let me finish the cruise. And then the end of the cruise, of course, we smashed the target again and he came around and he said, okay, Um, I now need to hire you as the corporate trainer. I need you to go around and fix all the ships because see what was happening. Right. Hayden is that they were so outdated. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to go and light it up to my way right? I mean, when we got young passengers on, I mean, you want to just go to bed and have warm milk and cookies. You don't want to go and spend a couple hundred bucks in the bar and and drop a couple grand in the casinos, right? So I just completely went in and changed the vibe of the ship and realized that we got younger customers wanting to have a good time, wanting to party. They're coming from, you know, Chicago in the middle of winter. It's January. They've been pining over this cruise vacation of a lifetime for a year. They've been saving up for it why are we playing like outdated stuff from the 60s like let's get with it already so that's what i did and um ended up uh, being corporate trainer went around and you know it's similar to fixing a brand right you go in there and at first they're desperate for you and they go oh my god we need your help we don't know why we're not hitting target. We don't know why we're getting bad comment cards. We don't know why we're not selling future futures vouchers, which are the three denominators that corporate and shore side um, basically value a cruise on, right? And I know in two seconds why, right? Your attitude stinks, right? You're not, you're not, you're not having good promos, like you know the bar's dead. What do you expect? Of course they're not, they're not drinking, they're not gambling. So I went in and I just, you know, basically raised a little hell. Change things, and then they hated me, which is often what happens with some of my founders I work on. In a way, they don't. That's what me. I was
0: gonna say. What was? Why were you fired after a day and a half? But then they kept you on.
1: Well, they fired me because I was breaking all the rules. Right. Right. Okay. You weren't
0: following policy.
1: I wasn't following corporate policy. Policy
0: and procedure. I was, yeah.
1: I was a hellraiser. Right. Mm-hmm. I wasn't following the manual, but the manual sucked, and the manual was written in the '60s and '70s, and now it's like the 2000s early 2000s 2000, 2010 so give me a break right look around like your passengers aren't 80 they're like 40 and they want to get jiggy with it yeah. so you know what I mean right you don't know literally right? I, I do know
0: what you mean yeah
1: right? it's like you know right like I mean come on and I'm, yeah. I'm and so I was like listen I'm just giving our guests what they want and they had a great time and it was all safe and it wasn't crazy and and whatnot so so yeah I was it's like you found
0: a product market fit
1: yeah there we go there we go so anyway so the, my brain is being trained to assess and strategize and fix and come up with a strategy and then implement action items so this is exactly for all the cbg founders are listening that's exactly what i do you know so um founders will come to me and say okay i don't know why i'm not getting listed or i don't know why my sales are flatlined or i don't know why you know x y and z whatever the problem is and then i will go and assess it and then i'll put it in an action plan uh, which is pretty a business plan i send it back to them and say okay if you want to achieve x y and z these are the action items we have to take and we'll get to it, right? I mean, brands will come to me and say, I've been trying to find a hassle co-packer for a year. And a week later, you know, I've I've got got one, one, right? And it's just because relationships, right? The most important thing that I can share to anyone listening Mm -hmm. today, and the greatest founders that will be here for 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road, or their brand will continue on as a legacy brand, is those gritty, uh, driven, ambitious, passionate founders, that spent the time in the very beginning to get to know all their team members, their people and were someone that was known to be great to work with and just made things happen, right? That's the biggest definer. So when I'm meeting a, a brand, when a brand reaches out to me or is being referred by another founder or, or whatnot, um, the first thing I think to the, is would this founder plunge a toilet? And you may think that's crazy, but you'd be surprised the amount of prissies and show ponies. Mm-hmm. And listen, my personality is not for everybody, right? But it's for people that want to get things done, right? And you have to be willing to do it. You have a full fitness studio or a restaurant or bar, as you can relate to. And, you know, there's the, the toilet's clogged. People don't, may not like you talking about it, but we all go, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have time to call. Joe or joanne the plumber i mean you got to get in there and do it yourself and then you got to walk out with grace and dignity apologize to your guests comp them a drink or comp them a class and then over delight them for the rest of their visit so they don't give you bad comments and so they come back so that's the kind of attitude i'm looking for i'm looking for people that are going to get it done right now i know that everybody has different ways to go about it and i don't want to erase that um, brand identity but at the same time i'm looking for hustlers because you have to be willing to to do that right um so I think the biggest thing is um, leaning into um, the community because this is a really great community of um, people that generally want to help. Um, I think there's a lot of really great resources, like your podcast, for example, and also founders that are really trying to give back, like established founders that have made it out the other side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's some great, you know, um, um, you know, accelerator and um, uh, and mentorship programs, and that's why we call ourselves Plant Life Brand Accelerators because brands will come to us and we'll help them get reach their goals. So whether they're in retail and they want to get into Costco, that's a club program, whether they're in um retail and want to go into a food service program, then we will lay down the the perimeters to to and the action items to to help them get there
0: that's great yeah there's a lot involved there isn't it when at what point did you realize that sort of um plant life uh was a uh, a business model that you wanted to execute on like did you see that there was an issue out there with a lot of people like requiring some assistance or did you have some people come to you and ask for help like how did it all start
1: yeah that's a great question so It did happen organically, but it happened, you know, most great. So I would say the stronger the why, the stronger the founder. That's one of my mantras, right? Mm. And Most great business ideas are birthed from founders that are trying to solve a pain point. And that was exactly what I'm that's exactly what Elgin, my husband and I are trying to do. So when we had the kombucha company, we also had a meal delivery service and fitness studios. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was on my own. Um, I mean, he helped me as much as he could, but I mean, you know, we had a lot on our plate. So we definitely did each did our fair share, right? Um, and so I, like you said in the beginning of the podcast, was that solopreneur that was on my own making these big decisions that were daunting and overwhelming from you know money that I got from uh, you know you know line of credit on my condo like I was de- I was all in right i mean i sold my engagement ring to work with Brian Salt who's the number one cbg designer in the industry mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. when people look at me and go you don't get it i'm like trust me sweetheart i get it <laughs> okay i've been there i've been in the mud with you everything's on the line i totally get it okay so this is where i feel like my level of empathy comes in but i also what i do is call tough love because if i can't deliver Deliver results, then I failed. And I don't like to fail. I'm competitive because I do generally care. And that my 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 heart is with the founder. I want them to do well. So when I was there struggling myself, I thought, wow, why isn't there any resources for founders? Because you're not in a position where you want to hire full-time team members, right? Mm. Because you either don't have the money or it just doesn't isn't the appropriate time to do it yet. You're too early for that. But these these little jobs that like you have too much on your plate and little things that you would think oh my God, I wish there was just someone who understood the industry, understood what I need at this exact moment, knew my brand, knew me, and I could just hire them like as we go for different projects to help me out so I could keep the ball moving. And that's exactly how plant life was was birthed. So it was just a matter of, the other thing was this, is that when I went through the gates, there was, you know, there's even now, right? There's not many people that do, I can't think of anyone that does what we do. And I don't mean that to sound egotistical please don't get that the wrong way but there's a lot of people that will teach you how to do things and there's courses and stuff but there's no one that I personally can think of that does a to z literally um from concept to formulations to procurement to co-packer vetting id distributor vetting id lead campaigns packaging websites pitch decks I mean you name it we do it um that um that that can that does it with you or for you as you go so you're learning as someone's Excuse me, doing it for you. I think that's really unique in my opinion, right? Because the other thing is there were people that were willing to help, but they only specialized in one thing. So Mm -hmm. it takes time to go and find that right person for that role. Okay, well, you're doing my website. Great. Thanks so much. Can you do a pitch deck? Oh, no, I don't do that. Okay, that's fine. I get it. Now I got to go find someone to help me with pitch deck. Okay, can you help me find a co-packer? Oh, no, I don't do that. Okay, now I got to find someone to do that. Can you help me with, you know, food science? Oh, I don't do that. You know, so the next thing you know, I've got 12 different people that are helping me. And every time I get to know them, I got to vet them, I got to ID them, I got to train them on the brand, we got to get Mm -hmm. to know each other. It's a big rig roll. So we just try to provide as much as we can, because we've done it ourselves, and get to know the founder, so they can rely on us and trust us. And we can start building that relationship. And I think that's really what sets us apart, um, in terms of, um, you know, uh, what we do best, what we excel at.
0: So you're busy. You're a busy person because I can imagine offering all of these services yeah. and you would have like a handful of clients that I'm sure that you've been working with. Do you like work with them over a long period of time or are you like, hey, this is a three month project or what does your sort of timelines look like?
1: Yeah, good question. Yeah, it's usually, I mean, there are some that I work with long term, but usually it's sort of like it's project to project. So sometimes yeah. projects like, I mean, three months is usually pretty standard depending on yeah. what what the scope of the work is. Some are six, but sometimes it's like, okay, great. We found you. You know, we've taken your kitchen recipe, made a commercial. Uh, we found you a CFIA, casset gluten free certified facility. Um, we've updated your packaging. We got you into distributor. We got a lead campaign going. Okay, you're on your way. I mean, that would be about three months, right? And it's yeah. a lot of work, full time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's how quick we move. Um, and then at that point, they go on their way. And then sometimes they come back and say, you know, maybe a year later, and say, listen, um, we'd really love to dip our toe in and and do like a. Uh, a deep dive and to see what it would take to get into Costco or to get into food service and partner with Cisco or GFS. So that's, you know, that sort of happens organically as well.
0: Mm. It's interesting. I um, just uh, today, I also, so you're my second interview today. I interviewed Mitch Cobb, who is the CEO and um, founder of Libra, and they make a non-alcoholic beer, but he's also um, the owner and operator of um, Uptown uh, Craft Brewery. So this is all on PEI over on the other side of the country, and they're doing very oh. well. But one thing that I asked him and what you'd sort of um, I'd love your opinion on it as well. So, you know, when you're launching a business, any business, but let's talk um, CPG. Obviously there's a, so many like moving pieces and, um, you know, one thing that you learn when you study entrepreneurship is to fail and fail fast and fail forward. Right. And sort of that, um, feedback cycle based on, you know, product market fit and consumer feedback, you iterate, you go back out to market and you do sort of that cycle many times until you find the right solution. So you're going out to market in a lot of cases with an imperfect product, an imperfect brand, an imperfect solution. Um, and sort of what percentage of the people that you're working with get really held up on perfection versus mm. just getting shit done and getting it out to market, getting feedback, iterating, and getting back out again?
1: Yeah, that's such a good question. So I would say that there's three different categories. The, the Sometimes per, like I do, it. listen, I admire perfection. I admire the founders that have an incredible product and have done a really good job because that's mm. how you get the turns. I admire founders that you know come up with impeccable um branding impeccable artwork and get it you know audited with you know with cfia and it's, it's oh, perfect shout
0: out to mickey Talebi from ume for example who has hit Uh-oh. the market so squared away so that's a great example of hitting the market with just the perfect brand and perfect yeah. solution right from the start yeah i yeah. think
1: mickey Talebi would be the textbook case that's what it. i
0: mean textbook just textbook, knocked it like
1: fact, yeah. if there was like a school that was taught about <laughs> how to launch a cpg brand
0: it's a case study I for sure Study because I'd agree with that. Yeah.
1: She just has it. And that's why, like, when, yeah. I, when I, when I saw her, like heard about her, I'm like, who is this girl?
0: Yeah.
1: How do I know? How do I work with her? Right. Yeah. And yeah, basically, yeah. I, like, I, yeah. So I've been, I've been, um, uh, very, uh, you know, proud to, to to work with them. But I mean, they are they are uh, definitely uh, the gold standard. Like, mm-hmm. that's for sure. I mean, they're going to be the brand that I will be lucky enough to shop for in 50 years. And I yep. know that. Um, so, yeah, so there's brands <laughs> like Mickey, the gold star. That's the North Star. Um, and then there's other brands that um, you know could have a great chef food background, right? Mm-hmm. So we said there wasn't, but there are ones that do, um, and are really focused on the food and the products, great, and 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 they're good with their costing, which is always a big win. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when it comes to the branding, um, you know, it, it falls flat, and that's okay, right? You, like you said, it's never perfect. It's it, well, except for a few times, but typically th- that's not the norm. There's either either products great or or the flip side the branding is great and the, and the and the founders very passionate about art and design and maybe has that kind of a background and it looks good and then the product is flat so you know okay well they're going to get the they're going to get the trial but they're not going to get the turns right so it's like how can i how can i help with that uh, element and you're right then there's others that are perfectionists in both um although um may take you know 6 months to do the packaging right mm. so so i hear you i mean Um, unfortunately, um, you know, yeah, we do learn by failure and, and, and I, it is tough at times because I can see them, you know, I can see them. It's like, don't touch the stove. It's hot. Don't touch the stove. It's hot. Okay. You touched the stove. You got burnt. Okay. You know, and I have to bite my tongue so many times because I got to like remind myself, like, you know, she's never had a business before. She's Mm -hmm. never, you know, and as much as I try, sometimes like, I'll give you an example. Okay. So, you know, someone may say, who do you recommend for X? okay and and right away i go i recommend so and so right and they're going oh okay now not to say that you can't go do your own homework but Mm -hmm. some of the smart ones like a mickey for example would go okay great why is that okay x y and z okay good i'm gonna go with that person not to say what i say rules the roost but these are the smart entrepreneurs that understand it then you've got the other ones that you know are out to prove something and they spend three months going on a milk run. Right. And come back and realize that what I said to them in 10 seconds was the right answer. But they just had to go through that process and come to that realization themselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, that's probably one of the biggest mistakes is that you really got to lean in to anyone. I mean, just people that are experienced and understand that, you know, there's a certain way of doing things. And, you know, you're not the first one at the rodeo. Um, And so, you know, of course, make your own decisions, do what's the best for your brand, Mm -hmm. but have some faith and trust in people that are generally trying to help you.
0: Yeah, not, and that's hard. It's hard to hand the keys over to somebody, you know, especially your business is your baby. You're you it's your, it's yours from the inception and you know to hand that over for a lot of entrepreneurs is quite difficult.
1: Yeah, I would say that, unfortunately, um, you know, love is blind, right? And I empathize because I birthed my own brand and businesses and I mm-hmm. and I, I do empathize with that. But there's a reason why, and I don't mean to sound cold hearted or anything, but there's a reason when brands start, you know, raising a lot of money and then mm-hmm. you get IPOs involved, investors involved, and all of a sudden the CEO now has some other random title that was made up just to save face, right? Yeah. And that's not to sound harsh. Or terrible, or or insensitive. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is that sometimes, you know, when you are in it, it's hard to get perspective, right? Mm-hmm. And so, what I try to do is very gently, like I, I do thorough deep dives. I, I'm quiet. I listen. I want to know the why. I want to know the founder. I want to get to know them, my founders, are my family, and then I understand why these decisions are made, right? Because I may look at it at first glance and be like, "My goodness, why are they doing that?" Right? But then I zip it. I'm quiet and I listen and I realize, okay, the reason she's so animate about not putting X in is because of a personal allergy or whatever the situation is. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, these are the non-negotiables. This is what is a brand ID. This is her Y. So okay, that's we're not going to touch that. But guess what? Can we do X, Y, and Z to bring your costing down by 30%? Can mm-hmm. we, you know, reformulate so we can partner with a co-man so you can actually scale this thing? You know, these kind of things. So there there's give and take for sure for sure yeah
0: they and it's it's important to recognize that when you sit down with somebody you're doing these workshops like how do you conduct them are you do you have a whiteboard do you bring them into your office do you come into their location like what do you what's your um program look like
1: yeah well um it's all done virtually so that's why i'm able to work with founders um throughout the world i mean most of my founders are um i'd say like 40 percent are bc and then i've got quite a few from alberta um and uh ontario manitoba saskatchewan and quebec um and then a good chunk from the states so a lot of um, because i did have a brand in the states i launched yeah. in the states. so there's brands that are in the States and want to launch into Canada or Canadian brands that want to launch to the States. I understand the nuances of that. And I understand the the specific differences between both the markets and regulatory and and the sort of language, so to speak, and what you need to do, because it's quite different, Mm. Um, you know, in terms of um, go-to-market strategy and how they do the distribution. It's just, there's just different nuances to, to be mindful of um and so yeah usually it's always one-on-one not usually always sorry it's always one that's our niche we work one-on-one with the founders so it's never a workshop it's they reach out um you know so-and-so referred you um we really need help with x y and z okay great send please send me x y and z um i do a deep dive we got on like a two sometimes three hour call and really hash it out and then at the end of it i put together a proposal i send it to them Um, we review it and then they can decide, you know, if they want to move forward and and if they want to move forward, (laughs) sorry, what, um, what those, those action items are.
0: Yeah. Perfect. Um, thinking back to the CHFA, it was a great trade show, by the way, I really enjoyed it. How did you find it?
1: Yes, it was good. It was good. Um, I, I'll be honest. Yeah. I mean, I you know, if I'm if I'm allowed to be, yeah, of course. That's yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm a straight shooter. Got to be
0: honest. Yeah. Um,
1: I was a little listen. The brands that did, you know, the the, the brands that showed up did a good job. But I don't want to knock it. I mean, it, it's it's a heck of a lot of work for sure. It's a marathon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I overall thought I would see more innovation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I thought there was there was more. I think there's a lot of white space that's not being tapped right now, and right. that's what my brain is trained trained to find. So I'm always looking out for the next thing and what's happening and I know some of the trends that are popping up in the states and I would have thought I would have seen more of that happening at CFHA it might come up in the fall, um, but I think that there's so much opportunity that has is not being used right now um but on that note um I thought that the you know the brands that, show up and the brands that stuck out for me are the ones that give you an experience so when you when you go to the booth what i always say to my founders is you want to make the guests feel like they've entered your world Right, so when they go above and beyond with different props and you know, co- like matching outfits or, or I was going to use for costumes from my entertainment background, but you know, I mean uniforms, like branded, yep. you know what I mean, like you branded aprons and things like that. Like those are the brands that that that, that to me are memorable and go, oh wow, I want to talk to them, you know. Um, so again, you know, branding, branding, branding. It's one thing to get to the show. A lot of these brands spend a lot of money, but if you're going to do it, please do it with conviction, mm-hmm. right? Because going there with a a booth and a tablecloth and not having the right signage and stuff, you know, I guess it is better than being there with nothing. But I mean, just plan, really plan to be there and and have a really nice booth design. I think it makes all the difference.
0: Yeah, no, it's critical. Um, One thing that I noticed, so over the years, you know, you do pick up on trends. Like I remember when bone broth was, you know, hot. Yeah, And uh, there were quite a few people around that were um, sampling their bone broths mushrooms and functional mushrooms had a really good run at it yeah. uh i remember kombucha obviously having a good crack and it had its moment where it was extremely popular like everything has its its time yeah. and then you know over time you see the ones that stick around who have obviously executed on everything really well Right. And one thing that I noticed this year is that there wasn't anything that I saw that I hadn't already seen before. That's and I was it. like, yeah. And I'm like, what's where is it? Like, what am I looking for? And I couldn't see it. But one thing that I did notice is that I noticed that, like, a lot of the plant based and vegan, um, uh, products out there have really, um, reduced down the ingredients that they're using and they've gone with clean and natural. And yeah. so they've sort of shrunk down their list of ingredients and the gluten-free products were tasting outstanding. Like I tasted some gluten-free products and I'm like, this is as good, if not better than the real thing. <laughs> yes. Like, I don't know if you've had, um, the house of ye, um, gluten-free oh, yeah. dumplings.
1: Has, I, yeah, I know Christine. Christine. Yeah. She, she's incredible. She's that. great. I would say like, so if Mickey's the star of tofu, I would yeah. say Chris is the star of like the dumpling world. I mean, there's like, she's, she's.
0: Couldn't agree she, more.
1: Couldn't yeah, agree she, more.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, she is, that's going to be a brand that we on shelf in 50
0: years. Like 100%. Yeah. And, but her product is outstanding. And yeah. like I tasted it, I'm like this is, and like I've bought her stuff before at farmer's markets and taken it home and stuff. Yeah. And my wife loves it. My kids love it. And then, but at the show, I was like, I was tasting it. And I'm like, this is a great example of how far gluten-free has come. Like, you know, a gluten-free product has come a long, long way. And it took a while to catch up like everything does. Yeah. Um, but that was one thing that I noticed And, uh, yeah, not so much plant based meat alternatives. I didn't see a lot of that, but I did see a lot of vegan and plant based. Um, and then, yeah, like a lot of people are doing a really good job. That's one thing that I noticed, but they're the sort of the takeaways that I had and that there was nothing new or innovative or, and when I say innovative, it's not like I'm talking about like extreme innovation, but nothing that was sort of standing out as something that I'd never seen before. yeah Yeah,
1: that was my take as well 100 although i do agree like i've I've been a vegan celiac for um you know nearly 35 years 34 years
0: yeah yeah Yeah. so
1: i definitely agree with you that the 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 gluten-free options have gotten a lot better Mm. i definitely think that the the plant-based options have gotten a lot cleaner i mean one thing that that people don't realize when they jumped on this sort of fake meat bandwagon whatever you want to call it um you know is that like there's a lot of us that are plant-based for a reason Right. We don't miss meat. We don't need a nicotine patch. Like mm-hmm. I don't I don't they know like I remember one time Elgin brought home the um the beyond meat or whatever. And I mean we both just nearly I, I mean we just we couldn't eat it. Like it was just so fatty and so, you know, I mean it just processed. wasn't our company.
0: Yeah, it's yeah, processed. Yeah, processed, yeah,
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I definitely think for sure that, you know, there's a lot of us that like we were like we're just disgusted by it. Like it's heinous to us. And that's not to be cruel or anything. It's just mm. the way we feel like I was a young, I was eight when I said, I don't want to eat animal products. And that wasn't because my family was vegetarian or vegan or whatever. It was just my personal decision. I just, I didn't, I wasn't, it didn't appetize me. And yeah. I, I didn't, and I, I made that connection with, with the animals pretty young, but regardless, um, it is good to see that. Listen, it, for me, there's three things, right. In terms of the product itself, my mantra is besides the stronger the why the stronger the founder it's also nutritious is delicious so i'm a holistic nutritionist plant-based chef I'm looking for things, you know, that are equally as nutritious as delicious, right? Because the end of the day, and and I'm looking for daily staples. I want to see things that people are going to put in their cart every week that are always they can't live without. It's always in the fridge. It's always in the pantry. It's always in the freezer. These are the legacy brands in the making, right? This is the Mickey's. This is the Christine's. I mean, this is the Jates, right? Because when you have these kind of products that are equally delicious as they are nutritious. That's going to give you the runway, right? And then, of course, the great packaging. The packaging mm. brings them in. That gets the buyers interested. That gets you on on off shelf into the cart. And then, if you're tasty, but you also make your customers feel good, right? I mean, with all due respect, we're good for vegan junk food. We're good enough already. I don't want to see any more vegan. So
0: junk much food. out there, isn't there? I know. If, you know, yeah. and I'm
1: not trying to knock the brands that did it. Like, there's some mm-hmm. great brands that do it, and we certainly will treat ourselves every now and then. And and and, but like, how often do you treat yourself? <clears throat> you know, a couple times a year. Right. Mm. I mean, we need brands like every day, sustainable brands that are nutritious, delicious for, you know, hopefully the whole family. Right. Mm. And 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 plant based or not, you know, done in an ethical manner that has some better for you function to it. Right. That is making as educating people, because the other thing that surprises me as well is the lack of, um, you know, knowledge about nutrition. Mm. I mean, that's really something that gets me. I mean. The whole point of food is to nourish right is to nourish our soul to give ourselves fuel life force energy vibration so we can live our life and i'm not saying you have to eat perfect all the time or whatever that looks like for you everyone has a different philosophy and we're all made up differently but i'm just saying that like nutrition should be the focus if we're feeding people and often it's not which is shocking to me you know so i'll look at a formulation And, and, and sometimes it's, um, you know, just like a brand, sometimes it's just a few tweaks. I'd call it like a a little mild renovation, like Mm. new carpets and new flooring, Mm a little lipstick job. Sometimes it's a full gut job, you know, (laughs) thinking, okay, why are you putting regular vinegar in when for the same cost, we can use apple cider vinegar? Why are you doing this when we could do that? Like just little things, it's going to elevate your ingredient pack. It's going to bump up the nutrition, the Mm. vitamins and minerals, and going to make your, your customers feel better when they have your your brand, and then and then you're gonna get the repeat. So it, it's done for very intentional reasons.
0: Mm. And that's one thing that I meant, like I noticed that a lot of the products out there, are, uh, you know, cutting out seed oils, canola oils, sunflower oils, and all that kind of stuff. And so that was really good to see. Like I enjoyed seeing that because like the first thing that I do when I pick up any package at the grocery store is I look to see what the ingredients list and the volume of products that, you know, have soy and canola oil and all of these oils in it. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want it. You know, so it's really nice to see those clean labels appearing. And it's obviously due to consumer demand. Like they're obviously getting feedback and it's great to see that people are listening. But yeah, it's just usually it's because, you know, they want to try and reduce their cost of goods and so on. And that's why they're using cheap fillers. But it's good to see that they're stepping away from it.
1: Yeah, for sure. I always say you can determine the integrity of a founder by the ingredient panel. Mm. Stand by it, right? When a founder is willing to spend, Mm -hmm. um, you know, versus spending a dollar a liter for canola oil and they're going to spend like seven or $8 a liter for, olive oil or avocado oil mm. or coconut oil has gone up immensely yeah um then you know that they're they're like putting their foot down because you know they're getting advice from the co-packer and yeah well you know you could save x amount of unit if you owe this and, they, and you know i've been in the room before the founder's like no i'm not doing that like it's so inflammatory it's so bad for you yeah um, so i do admire that and i think that's a that's two-part i totally agree it's the demand of the customers which is mm. great Mm -hmm. because they're voting with their dollar. I love that. And it's also the integrity of the founder. So, so I, it's exciting to see the other big thing that, that is being, you know, I've been mindful of for like years and years, um, is is the sugar, right? Like mm. sugar is, without a doubt, you can do your homework, you can fact check me. Is a number one carcinogen in the world. I yeah, don't it care. What saying, it's a number. Oh one no,
0: one. it's it's such yeah. um, common knowledge now. Well, yeah. uh, what it's it's common knowledge to me and the people that are in my circle. Like it's it's old news that it's sugar no, exactly. is the exactly. serious devil. Like it's, it's the so devil. bad it for you. The devil. You know. And if, yeah. You know.
1: I mean, I can't believe when people say to me, "What do you mean?" I'm like, <laughs> "Where have you been?" Like, I, I mean, this has been out since the '80s. That right? plays you're my mind
0: as well. Yeah. Yeah. so
1: inflammatory right and and so anyway so like sugar is used a lot in formulation because it's darn cheap and it makes it makes things taste good right yeah i always admire founders that are going above and beyond to remove the sugar do no added sugar even if it means that they're replacing it with you know date paste which at least has vitamins and minerals and fiber in it right Mm. or we've got so many great alternatives now for you know monk fruit to you know allulose um to stevia uh inulin is one of my favorites so there's ways that you can do it um mm. without having to add all the all the sugar because unlike what mary poppin says a spoonful of sugar does not make the medicine go down it actually fiber <laughs> store in your body and causes yeah. insane inflammation so like you know if something says the word sugar on it it's not going to my cart and i know there's like 67 of canadians that are, are doing the same thing it just, yeah yeah, you
0: know, yeah yeah but then as you said before if, the, uh, if it's a special occasion and you're out with the kids and grab an ice yeah. cream and actually enjoy the shit out of it, like really totally. enjoy it. It's good for your soul, but yeah. it's not an everyday food. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize that stuff too, but there are alternatives out there. Um, okay. I had another question for you. So what are some common mistakes or pitfalls that some new CPG brands in the food industry should avoid when launching their products?
1: Okay. The biggest thing is they need to plan for a year runway. Okay. Okay. And I know yep. that sounds aggressive, but, um, you need to, if you're going to get into it before you quit your day job or before you cut off some sort of it, like you need to plan that you're not going to get income for a year. All right. Um, and I know that some people, when I tell them this, they just, I mean, you know, the smart ones get it, but, um, those that are just starting out i mean that's pretty standard with every business so i'm not sure this isn't like unique to cbg Mm -hmm. um but you know like it it will take a year if not years before you could start paying yourself so you better have a good backup plan right you better have and the other thing to keep in mind too is like cash flow is king the number one reason businesses go out of of business is because of one thing they run out of cash Mm-hmm. They may even have POs up the yin yang and CBG. Like I've been in this position before. They just physically don't have the money to fulfill the order with Coman or whatever the situation is, right? And it's sad. It's really sad. But you got to be prepared. You got to have a year, a year one way. Because by the time you start formulating, by the time you find the co-packer, by the time you invest in all the packaging, as you know more than anyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, lead time involved in that. And um, by the time you, um, you know, you get listed and you work with distributors and you start getting money back in your bank account. I mean, it could at least be a year, if not longer, right? I mean, it could certainly happen quicker, could be six months, right? If you're super on the ball and you're aggressive and maybe only have one or two SKUs that you're launching or something. So there are exceptions. Of course, there's exceptions out there, but that's a norm. So uh, you're one way. The other thing is costing, right? I'm shocked the amount of, you know, and, and again, I'm not talking about, I'm not picking on anyone particularly, I'm just saying in general, the amount of founders that don't know they're costing, like it just blows my mind. I mean, you should know it to the fifth decimal. And I know that, look, I know ingredients are changing by the day. I know one week you're talking to one supplier and it's X a kilo, and then it's this and that and shipping and all this kind of stuff, but you should have a ballpark, right? And the other thing I will say is you need to work backwards. All right. Because you, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised again at the amount of founders that come to me. And I just think these people are out to lunch. They are on glue that they want to charge 1799 for a 300 gram stew. I'm not making that up. That was, yeah. I was. mean,
0: there's a glass ceiling. There's a, you know, there's only so much that a consumer will pay for a product.
1: Well, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I knew my kombucha brand, if I was sent yeah. over 499, I was DOA. Yeah. Right. So I did everything. I picked my price and then I worked backwards. Yeah. You know, you've seen some new founders just go, well, this is how much it costs me to make. That's not the customer's problem, yeah, right? It's no. your problem with all due respect. You got to get your costs down. You got to figure out really quickly this is a volume game and you got to order larger. Oh, scales know,
0: up an economy will work in your favor every time if you can afford yeah. it for sure. Yeah.
1: That's it. Yeah. So, yeah. So knowing your numbers before you you jump in, doing a thorough budget doing a go-to-market strategy, um, understanding the costs involved, um, you know, what it takes to launch a brand, um, and then also being flexible, right? You gotta be flexible because um, if, and and, you know, when it comes to supply chain, you may think that this one little thing makes such a difference in your product, Mm -hmm. but I guarantee that 99% won't even notice it. And I'm just offering an opportunity to save, you know, 80% off, you know, going from organic to non-GMO or something like that, you know, Mm. just as an example, but that's just one I've recently, right. Where I got the cost down by 80% just from going from organic to non-GMO. And I mean, I couldn't taste the difference. Right. And, and unfortunately what's happening with organic, I had an organic brand, so I get it, but the cost, we used to be able to charge a premium for organic. And unfortunately the cost to operate an organic business is becoming so erogenous, Mm. you're not getting the ROI on shelf. So as much Mm. as I believe in it, as much as I, I want to have it, Unfortunately, 99% of the time right now, it's just not even a viable option anymore. So the next best thing is non-GMO.
0: And you're suggesting that that's just because of the you know economic climate that we're living in right now with inflation, like uh, organic produce and goods are just too expensive to warrant its use as an ingredient right now yeah so
1: basically what's happening what I've noticed particularly in the last 10 years is like you'd usually okay if you were doing a cost analysis based on I don't know let's just take an ingredient almond flour that's a good example right (laughs) which is expensive
0: for sure and I'm looking
1: like organic almond flour right that's obviously because everything organic is obviously non-gmo right so Mm -hmm. I'm looking at organic non-gmo gluten-free certified almond flour oh that's the one that's what I want the perfect one right Now, usually that would be, if you then compare it to just one that's not organic, but it's not GMO and it's still in a gluten-free allergen facility, blah, blah, right? Um, Usually we're talking 20% more. So you can kind of justify it and go, okay, well, for 20% more, and then I'm going to pay my organic certification, which can be 10,000 plus a year, depending if you're in the US or Canada, um, then I can justify it because I'm going to have that gold medal on the front of my pack, in front of my bag, and and I'm going to help drive brand awareness and trial and, and show my customers I'm going the extra mile, right, with my values. But that's not happening anymore because now, oftentimes it's different based on ingredient, based on supplier, but what I'm finding is organic can often be double now. So you can't go and take an organic baking mix. Let's be an example, right? Maybe it's a gluten-free keto baking mix, right? Certified gluten-free, great. For like me, that's what I'm looking for. Okay. It's a good, and then one has non GMO ingredients. And um, let's say it's, I don't know, 1199. Okay. Um, and, and, and I'm, and, and i have margin for, you know, my distributor, which is thir- my, my retailer, which is 35% because it's dry my distributor, which is 25% because it's dry. And then I'm about 50% margin so I can operate this thing. All right. That's non GMO. It used to be that maybe the organic version was, you know, maybe 1499. Mm. Now, not so much because the mm. costs are literally double. So all that goes up. So you'd have to sell that same baking mix for like $18.99, which is means you're priced out of your set. No one's gonna do it. Trial yeah. so you gotta really have those hard questions like, is it worth the ROI? Right. Mm. As much as I believe in you and I believe in, you know, your your passion to be your organic brand, because I was the same founder. Mm. It just it, it just right now it's not and 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 you're right with the climate, yes. Um, customers are looking, and they're they're going. Well, this is non GMO and it's certified gluten free, and it's eleven ninety nine, and that one's eighteen ninety nine. You better believe nine times out of ten, they're, if not more, they're going to go for the eleven ninety nine.
0: I know that that's the decision that we've made in a lot of cases in our household as well. Um, it's sad, but you know, as you're launching a business, as you said, cash flow is critical. You got to manage your costs, and sometimes you have to make some tough decisions like that. But it doesn't mean that you can't have a line extension in the future that is specifically organic. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. a that there, you don't have to like. You don't have to give up on that. You know, it can be something that when the time is right, when the economic climate shifts, which it will, uh, that may be the right time to do it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's the thing. It's just a matter of being really strategic and lean and green Mm. in the beginning Mm -hmm. um, because that's your most um, vulnerable time right mm-hmm. in the beginning right mm-hmm. now once you get traction once you get out and you get your you get your skews moving and you got good turnover and the cash flows coming in mm-hmm. yes then of course you start to think about okay innovation and um you know line extensions and oh we can do this for cfha this year or we're going to mm-hmm. go down expo west or whatever yeah the other thing that you said what's the biggest mistake and i just want to quickly touch on mm-hmm. it is launching too many SKUs at once
0: yeah, i knew you'd say that i knew <laughs> you'd say it yeah for sure yeah.
1: the smartest thing you can do i mean a lot of found founders will come to me when they're in what I call the Willy Wonka stage, mm-hmm. where they have maybe 12 plus SKUs or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it really just comes down to maybe that the flavors are so similar. So it's not so difficult on the food side of things in terms of production. But it's really challenging, as you know, more than anyone on the packaging side, mm-hmm. right? So if you can, let's just pick because often when they have 12 SKUs, maybe like three or four SKUs are 80% of their sales. So mm. let's just hone in on those hero skews. Let's launch those. And then we know you got the innovation. We know you're a creative genius. But then let's just slowly drip feed them out at the market when it makes sense.
0: Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. I mean, simple, like when you can simplify things, it just makes your life just so much easier. Like, you know, you can reduce, you know, the pantry of ingredients that you have to have in your warehouse. Um... God, it's just endless the amount of things that you can do if you can reduce your amount of SKUs and just launching a business with like, you know, it's important to have variety, but it's just important to, yeah, really refine that down. And like, as you said before, with packaging, like, yes, the more packaging the buy that you buy, Scales of Economy work in your favor. Like we all understand that and know that, but yeah, it really helps. Like at the end of the day, when people are buying packaging, the way that they assess it is really interesting. Some people are looking at it through the lens of like, I know what margins I need to maintain for my product. So I know what my packaging cost needs to be. So if you could hit this number, we'll go, right? And I'll be like, okay, cool. So that (laughs) could be they're ordering two and a half thousand pieces. It could mean that they're ordering 10,000 pieces, like who knows, but they just want to hit that unit cost. And then other people are like, I've got five grand to spend on packaging. What's the best cost per unit you can get me if I buy 5,000 bags? And I'm like, here it is. And they're willing to accept that because they've sort of set aside that spend for for packaging And then other people are like, okay, right now, while I'm launching a business, I know that I don't want to get any more than two and a half thousand bags, right? Like, I don't want to buy a huge volume. Let's go MOQ. I know that I'm going to be spending more per unit than my margins can handle. However, I'm going to chalk a percentage of my packaging spend up to cost of goods. And I'm going to chalk another percentage up to marketing costs because essentially it's a marketing exercise as well. You want to get beautiful packaging. You want to tell your brand story. So on and so forth. So I know that a lot of uh, founders have been really creative on the way that they slice and dice their packaging cost uh, on their P&L.
1: Yeah, no, that's really interesting feedback. I mean, mm. I'm definitely a customer number one, mm.
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, because I'm very focused on budget because yep. if the math doesn't work, you're done. You're done. Like, and yeah. I, I know that sounds, but that that's just a reality. Okay, yeah. so yeah. you got to make your numbers work. Um, yeah. Unless you got, you know, you got a, you got a huge Series A, you got, you mm. know, and you, you got. And the one time I don't recommend it is when, <laughs> um okay, here's a good example: if a brand is um producing in a commissary, mm. okay, and we're getting ready to take that brand to a co-packer, a facility, yeah. a CFA co-packer. Yeah, there's often, if not always changes and revisions that have to be made because we're scaling it from single batches or whatever mm-hmm. to, you know, truckloads or pallets or whatever. Right. So, you know, a lot of it can depend on equipment. Like can it go through the machine? Yeah. Uh, is it, is it compliant on the line? Okay. Well, they're not willing to take you on because you have this. So if we just remove this for, if we just replace X for, for, you know, a to C or whatever it is, and yeah. we can put this coman, which is a perfect fit. It's just the one hurdle. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're about to do a big run, um, I would really caution um, uh, a lot of founders that may be listening right now to hold off on large um, l- large orders of packaging until they they've done a couple test runs, if not at least a test run or a couple test runs, and yep. they've really nailed it down. And then you can kind of pull the trigger and do do larger runs.
0: Yeah, couldn't agree more. And that's one thing that I've built into my sales repertoire as well. When I'm out there talking to people about their packaging, I like to find out how they're assessing you know, their packaging cost as well and what's important to them so that I can fit them with the right solution, not only the packaging solution, but the right pricing solution as well. So it's one of the first questions that I ask is like, how are you assessing this? Like, if you've got a budget that you're trying to spend, or you are trying to hit a certain unit cost and, you know, really dig into that component of the, uh, of the project with them. And it's really important just to make sure that we're all on the same page.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's great. And service that you offer is astronomical like it's it's just like because you understand the nuances of it right and you know that's what I really love about food pack is because you build those relationships with your founders from the ground up and get to know them and it must be rewarding for you too when you see these amazing founders on the shelf been, you know yeah. friendships with right and yeah. and, and it's like okay well they start off with this order and yeah oh the next order is this and like oh, oh yeah
0: watching somebody scale their business is so much fun. Like you'll have people that come in and they're like, Hey, I've got this business idea. I want to package up a baking mix, for example. And you're like, all right, where are you at? And they're like, I just know that I need a package. And I'm like, cool. All right, well, let's come on in, bring in some of your products. We'll look at some samples. We'll talk about, you know, we'll dial in the dimensions that you're after. And then we'll talk about the finish, the feel, the features and so on. And, you know, go through it all from start to finish. And then once that first printed project comes back and they see it and they're thrilled, and then they go to market and they get a really good response. And then they place a second order. And then they scale up they move from say a digital print press to a rotogravure print press because they're going to order larger volumes which reduces their cost and it's really nice to hold somebody's hand throughout that process and see their product out on the shelf and see them at farmers markets and support their business it's so much fun have them on the podcast it's great i love it
1: yeah absolutely i mean mm. here's the thing right is that picking the right printer um mm. like you're you know like working with food pack i mean mm-hmm. it is a really pivotal pivotal choice because the thing is is that this is what I always say is that be careful what you wish for, because um, when you're dealing with someone like yourself that goes that extra mile and make sure it's done. I mean, how many if I had a loony for every time um, a founder maybe, you know, decided to go rogue and go their own way because they might save X or, or Z or whatever. Yeah. And the packaging comes back, the bags or whatever it is come back and they're terrible and there's nothing that's done. I mean, you've just thrown out how much thousands of dollars on the toilet versus yeah. Working with someone that cares, that you builds a relationship that has an impeccable reputation, that wants to make sure it's perfect. Like you put so much into working with a designer and the audit Uh and everything like that to make sure that packaging is just on point. And then it it finally comes the day it arrives and you open it up and it's either the colors off or something, whatever. I mean, you want to know that whoever you're working with is going to have your back in your corner. Uh,
0: 100%. you know it
1: happens all the time but when it does happen i mean it's nice to work with someone like yourself that is gonna is gonna you know
0: support you through it yeah i mean yeah yeah, mistakes happen for sure like sometimes colors aren't always purely represented, like you may have a Pantone color, but due to the structure that you're printing onto, it may not be that perfect blue, for example. So yeah, of course we can workshop that with you, but it's really hard when you've got somebody in there, you know, they're looking on Alibaba and they may have found manufacturers over in China or India and all of that kind of stuff. And they're like, why are you suggesting that your cost is 18 cents a bag and I can get it online for six? And I'm like, well, first of all, that's USD. Yeah. And that that's... doesn't include duties and that doesn't include freight. It's and of a... course, I need to make some margin as well because I'm in the business of making money and supporting my family too. And obviously here at Food Pack, we've got all of our overheads. So yeah, but at the end of the day, like you'll be working with me. We can take all of the um the stress of working with the manufacturer off your hands because of course you're going to have to communicate to somebody that may not speak English perfectly. And, you know, it's a whole process. Whereas yeah. we've got relationships with our manufacturers that have been built over decades. And, uh, you know, so there is value in paying that little bit extra, even though you may get a cheaper product somewhere else, especially if you go direct, but that's not to say that, you know, in the future, when you're printing hundreds of thousands of bags, that going direct may be the right solution for you. But at the same time, that's when we can offer you a warehousing program and assist you with your cash flow. So, you know, partnering with a packaging business is a a really smart move. And yeah, of course, I'm pitching my product and service right now that we offer here at Food Pack. but it does make a lot of sense for businesses. I'm so glad because the
1: thing is that, you know, I definitely think that packaging is can really trip up a lot of founders. Mm. And we're talking about, you know, mistakes. And if 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 I were to say one thing to prevent expensive mistakes is to do that. Yeah. Right to work with, um, work with someone like yourself that can help them navigate. Right because yeah, it may sound enticing to get it for a little bit more, but when you're spending maybe like fifteen percent more, twenty percent max, yeah. I consider it an insurance policy. Right. Because, I mean, you go ahead and you import something from overseas and deal with all the headaches and the importing and all that. If you were to add up your time about what it takes to do that and the Mm -hmm. headache and how much that's taking out of your um, workflow to take away from other tasks versus just spending a little bit more with a trained professional like yourself. Let me tell you, it's one of the best decisions you can make.
0: Yeah, and we're responsible for the quality assurance as well. You know, so yeah. if something comes back, and like I said, if that color's not right, we can workshop with you to find a solution. Whereas you're on your own if you go direct in a lot of cases. So yeah, yeah
1: it, it, in yeah. my opinion, the risk is just way too high. It's mm-hmm. way too high. Mm-hmm. And you know, the other thing that comes to 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 mind too is that you know, there's another whole thing about. I mean, designers, right? Mm-hmm. For, for example, so my husband's a graphic designer, is a yep. photographer, right? Web designer, and so we get this question all the time. Right. Because there's that thing, Fiverr, or whatever you want to call it. Right. And that could be
0: Fiverr. Yeah. Fiverr. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Fiverr.
1: You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I know
0: exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Fiverr. Yeah. And
1: don't get me wrong. That can be a really good tool, right? Mm. For prototypes and get you going, or if you have like a law office or something like that. Right. Um, But, you know, the biggest thing is these founders, you know, when every cent counts, and I understand that Mm. they get all excited and they go and hire, you know, maybe spend $500 or whatever on packaging or whatever. And, and, I mean, this person isn't in the Canadian market. They don't mm. understand CFIA. They don't understand yeah. regulatory. They're in Europe or bilingual.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, which
1: is which is fine. Don't get me wrong, but it's like it's like okay, you know. By the time you went in, and then you know, I've had founders come to me, and they spent literally like $5,000 just going through different designers you just go to someone in the beginning that knows what they're doing right that understands the market gets it right the first time understands that what has to be on there because it is definitely the most challenging um country in the world to 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 do packaging for CBG because we're the only now correct me if I'm wrong but I haven't found another country that you have to not only have the regulatory which that's standard practice for sure but then you have to have two languages on it i mean that is just you know, I think it's wonderful that we have we're dual and it's it's a great asset to, to Canada. But man, is it a headache being a designer in CBG. I
0: I see it every day. As I get proofs come over my desk, I'm like, damn, like this is so cluttered. And like, you know, there's a huge movement to um, really uh, clean, you know, designing clean labels right now. Like that aesthetic of clean and not clinical, but like there's a movement towards like a reduction in content, um, you know, apart from the critical pieces. And I'm like, if this was English or French only, it would make everybody's life so much easier. But you have to really be strategic in the information that you're um and the story that you're telling uh on your packaging and yep. you know what those critical pieces are that you know et, and and while we're speaking of that as well so yes design is important and then um but another key piece of a digital print press for example are the low minimum orders and what i've seen some of my clients do is <clears throat> so if we've got a minimum order of two and a half thousand pieces right some of our clients will print 500 of one design you know they'll do like. A, a significant amount, but like five, six, 700 of one design. And then, so they'll do some AB split testing and then, you know, they'll do some market research with some low quality, uh, sorry, low quantity runs of multiple yeah. SKUs uh, right. to hit that MOQ. And that's a really good, um, that's a good feature of a design uh, digital print press as well that people can leverage. Yeah. Oh,
1: I, yeah. AB split tests are like my, yeah. my plan. like, I just, I, the more, yeah. if you have the luxury to do it for time, it yeah. is good move to yeah. be able to do it and do yeah. some focus groups and show friends and family. And yeah. you know what I do is I always go like I do store checks, right? So mm-hmm. I do it at late at night when it's when people when it's not around. If we're doing packaging like design or whatever, I will go and do a mock up like just from you know put from it on someone's shelf put yeah. it on. Oh yeah. And I'll, put, yeah. you know, and they know me at choices and whole foods and whatever they they understand. I'm not some secret shopper. They understand <laughs> the environment and everything yeah. I go in and I take photos and I ask them, what do you guys think? You know, that's another thing I'm going to say, right. Is that you got to walk the floor right i don't care how long you've been in the game i mean at least once a week i have a little route that i do you know i put in I'm probably am listening to you i put in my buds you know i get my, my 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 tennis shoes on i you know and i go out for a little power walk and i really enjoy it and i just walk i hit about 20 different retailers and i just want to see what the heck's going on and don't i walk, look at
0: the sets yeah.
1: yeah yeah study the sets what's happening what's new what's innovative right I mean I'm not saying that you know every not trying to be insensitive to people's time but I think it's time well spent. The amount of things that I've learned just talking to team members in the floor building relationships and those are going to be the relationships that'll help you in the beginning, hmm. right? Um and especially if you get to know the stockists and and the buyers like people are friendly. Like if you yeah. ask them questions, you can learn a heck of a lot.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Um Okay. So we're getting to the top of the hour right now and I do have a hard cut off, but I think you and I should organize a second episode because we've got so much more that we could talk about. So let's once we wrap this up, let's book a second episode in for everybody out there. But um if we were to sort of uh, wrap up the conversation with a key takeaway, what would you suggest it would be?
1: My biggest takeaway is um is is passion. Hmm. The reason I'm going to say that is that you've got to be borderline insane to start a CBG brand. Okay. (laughs) Now I'm not doing this to discourage you. This is words to encourage you. Okay. It's to make you feel special. Okay. Because there are a million reasons why you shouldn't do it, but there's gotta be that one burning reason why you've got to do it. And just like Oprah says, like that aha moment, every strong founder can identify it and knows why they get up every morning and in 15, 16, hours, why they haven't been on a trip for a year, why they're wearing the same sweatpants and haven't bought a new outfit in a year. You know, you've got to be more happy dedicating yourself to growing your brand and living your purpose and building a legacy and and being the, the change you want to see versus you know punching it out and having weekends and that and there's nothing wrong with that they're both great paths but you know if you look at the roi and the amount of hours you're going to put in in the Mm -hmm. early days it's certainly not worth it the founders that i know that are really succeeding it has nothing to do with the money it's Mm -hmm. to do with a passion of wanting to do better of wanting to um you know prove to people nutritious is delicious come up with something that's more sustainable um, and, and really, and, 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 shine and shine and showcase your place in the world. And, and oftentimes it's it, the biggest innovation I'm seeing, um, is, is particularly women that are, are, are sharing these incredible, um, recipes that have been passed down from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about Canada. We're so blessed to be in this melting pot and I'm on a mission to do two things. Number one, I want to erase the word ethnic aisle because I find it really racist. And I it's mean, it's
0: bizarre that there is an ethnic do that you think. Right.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just like I, I call it the non bland Isle because, in my opinion, that's when all the where all the good food is. Where it's I'm
0: surprised that it's there too. Yeah,
1: right? it's just such a bizarre, you know. Um and um and I also want to prove to people that you know plant forward living um can be super rewarding and and is really what we need to do um to 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 really <laughs> save the planet. Let's be honest and look, I'm not saying that you have to go straight you know plant based okay i don't think that that's going to happen and that's okay we don't need that to happen we just need people to make some more mindful choices they could start with one meal a week right mm-hmm. that's it one meal a week right and just putting more fruits and veggies and healthy things on the plate and, and 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 really being focused on more sustainable options um and thinking about your food sources but you know we do need to have a shift in the paradigm we do need to localize our food systems if we want to Um, really heal the planet and and by doing it um, as a community and leaning into that is is how we're going to solve those problems um so don't forget that um that you know what you're trying to offer is needed and 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 lean into that and and just realize that every day you're getting up and, and you are making a difference so if that fills your cup and that fills your heart keep at it don't give up um and and when things get tough you get tougher and just accept the fact you're never going to be done you just have to be at peace that it's going to be some a constant continuum but at least you get to do what you love and i think that's a great gift
0: awesome well listen thank you so much for your time today i'm looking forward to another conversation in the very very near future for everybody to listen to as well um if anybody wanted to get in touch with you and learn a little bit more about how you can assist their business at plant life what's the best way for them to go about it
1: Oh yeah, sure. Um just um you can email us um if you go to our website, plantlife.com, um, or email me directly 247 Dominica D O M I N I C A at plntlife.com and we'd love to help you.
0: Awesome. I'll put all of the uh, details of your uh, business in the show notes for everybody to check out. And uh yeah, really enjoyed this conversation today. I think there was a lot in there for everybody. So yeah, really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much. It's been a great opportunity. I'm a huge fan of yours. And I will continue to be. So I'll be plugging in every week. (laughs)
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. Bye. All right. So thanks again for tuning in to episode 121 with Dominica. If you have any questions or comments from today's show, please visit my LinkedIn profile where I will post up each week's episode. Everything you need to get there can be down below in the show notes. So yeah, I guess that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. And I hope you all join us next week for another great episode. Cheers.